maybe it's an addiction. Like I'll, I'll continue to work from my grave probably. I like to create stuff. That's, that's what I am. I'm a creator in nature. Building a company is, uh, is a great experience, especially when it's like uh, super successful. That's Amit Bendov, CEO of Gong.io, an AI-powered revenue intelligence platform, which he's grown into a $2.2 billion enterprise. Amit has spent nearly two decades leading hyper-growth software startups and has scaled three unicorn companies worth a billion dollars or more. With a background in sales, marketing, and technology, Amit has a unique understanding of how to launch and scale businesses. I've always admired Amit's ability to spot gaps in the market and make a business idea blow up and become wildly successful. But he's also seen the other side and has some great insights into an entrepreneur's least favorite words, rejection. This is Daniel Sachs, co-CEO of AppDirect, and it's time to decode revenue intelligence. Welcome to Decoding Digital, a podcast for innovators looking to thrive in the digital economy. I'm your host, Daniel Sachs, and I'll sit down with other founders, CEOs, and changemakers to decode the trends that are transforming the way we work. Let's decode. So happy to have you on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me, Dale. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. So let's take it back to the beginning. I know you have a background in computer science, but when you started your career, did you know you wanted to be a tech entrepreneur? Not even close. Do you want to know what I really wanted to be? I wanted, of to, be, I wanted to be like a guitarist in a rock band. I actually hated computers in high school. I was pretty good in math, but uh, I didn't really like it. And, uh, and my first gig, you know, trying to get close to the, uh, the music industry was I was starting selling like recorded, uh, recording equipment for recording studios, for rock concerts. And that's the first time that was like in the early nineties where things, things started to shift from, from hardware to software. I said, oh, this computer is pretty cool. And then I signed up for computer science, but, uh, that was the start. The world is obviously digitally transformed and overnight you have tons of salespeople that are operating remote and they have a greater need and, and companies essentially have a better need for understanding their efficiency, their productivity, and what you're working on with Gong.io helps turbocharge sales teams. So do you want to explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, for sure. So I actually started a company like similar to what the way you presented it, but I started because I was frustrated with how little we know about what's happening with our customers. I was a CEO of a company called SciSense in the business intelligence, and we're doing lots of customer uh, interactions, but I, I never really knew why we're losing some deals, winning some others, why some salespeople are like better than the others, uh, what's happening in the market, what is the competition doing better, what are we doing better, fundamental questions. And it dawned on me that that information is in people's heads and it's in a conversation, but never makes its way to the CRM system. So if we want to know as leadership, like what's going on, we have to go and ask, uh, and it's hard to pull the information and it'll be anecdotal and, and subjective at best. That seemed like pretty obvious to me, but because CRM systems were built for, for the leadership team, they were not built for the reps. So I said, can we, Think about a system that 
kind of like rather than relying on what the, the reps put in, in forms, uh, actually understand what customers say, right? That was the, the understanding. That was revenue intelligence. It, it captures like the reality versus the opinions of the customer facing people. And, and that's what we're doing. So today, like even more so, we have like teams that have sold like inside sales. They've sold remotely, but now they used to work together in the bullpen, right? And now they're remote, they're scattered. So that's that's number one challenge. And then there's another group they used to sell in person, and now they need to learn a whole lot of new skills, how to sell remotely, how to create rapport, how to engage customers and how to do it. So that's what, that's what Gong does. Gong kind of taps into conversations directly, emails, calls, text, uh, and other types of messages, understand what's being said and compiles that information in a way that's useful both for the customer facing people so they can uh, improve their skills, but also for the leadership teams that understand like the productivity and what's going on. So obviously, you know, the core of any business is sales and revenue. And as you articulated, while there's tools like Salesforce to help track uh, the sales and the pipeline and give leadership visibility, what made you realize that there was such a gap in the market of enabling reps to be more productive? And was the initial idea what materialized today or were there some learnings along the way? It's a pretty simple story. What I thought was like, uh, and, and the problem, like I still did presentation, kind of like back of a napkin presentation in 2015. It says like problem, most of their information never makes it to the CRM. It's in the conversations. That was the problem. Now, I, when I started, um, I thought, hey, I need something like that. I wasn't looking to start a company, but as I couldn't find any, I started asking around and I interviewed some 50 leaders that, that I know and some that I don't know, right? Just total stranger asked, hey, if we can build a system that you could um, know what's going on with your customers and your customer facing people, without anybody having to do anything, would you buy? And at the time, not everybody uh, was eager to invest in Gong. There are a lot of people who thought that it'll never fly or the technology will not work or people will hate it. Uh, but fortunately we found you know, a few investors that gave us money. And since that point, we were, we're taken off like pretty fast. It's fascinating. And on Decoding Digital, we like to really decode the story behind you know, the founder. And I think you articulated a pattern of what makes incredible companies um, and incredible founders, which is you know having this clarity of purpose initially, setting out the vision, testing it in a lean way, but then for a lot of entrepreneurs out there, getting investment is a big hump. So can you walk us through the challenges you had? Yeah, this is my fourth company, and I'm already like my first company was one of the founding teams of Quick Software. It was sold to Salesforce, 1.3 billion. And then uh, another company called Panaya, or quarter billion, smaller outcome. And then I was a turnaround CEO of a company called Sysons, and now also a unicorn. So I think that worked in my favor. And people said, maybe we don't believe in a horse, but let's bet on a jockey, right? I did believe in a horse more than the jockey. At that time, interestingly, because we're in sales, and actually the partner investing at all, that was one of the, one of the toughest deal to pass the partnership. The interesting thing about sales, is that everybody thinks that they understand like sales, right? And if you pass some kind of like uh, obscure hypervisor 
technology that nobody knows anything about, right? Because, hey, you know, this, this is a great entrepreneur. The people are like strong technical folks and, you know, they'll invest. But here are some of the common things that first, the salespeople will hate it. They'll see it as a big brother. There hasn't been like any company in sales that took off. And there are lots of sales tools that the big companies will eat us for breakfast. Lots of reasons. But I think it's our, our track record that allows us to finally get the, uh, get the funds. And with that, we built the first product. And from that point, we got the product market fit like within, I'd say like three to four months. So we had like 12 paying customers. So that's helped from that point. So we're hearing from like the triple crown or the hat trick unicorn leader. There's not many people who have built and scaled three times over. You must have some really interesting insights from scaling. What do you see is kind of the the difference between the big outcomes and the small ones? And is it early, early and easy to identify early? Or do you have to try it and then see what the outcome looks like? So there are a lot of little things, but there are two big things that are impacting. And first is, is the market that you're in. That kind of like defines the potential, like how big this could be. So if you're... Uh, the market to me is like market and, and product, right? It's like how many people would be interested in buying your product and willing to pay the kind of money that you need to make to make it a viable business. So that's like number one. I think if you're in a good market and kind of like an okay team, you, you'll do fine. You can make a few mistakes. But if you're in a bad market, it means you can become a king of the hill. But I mean, it'll be a hill. Right. So make sure that, you know, if you're planning to work for like a few good years, like 16, 17 hours a day, you know, you might not be successful. But if you are successful, that there is a very nice upside that you could build a big company, especially if you raise like venture money. Right. This is like they're betting big. There's no there's nothing wrong with a small business. But if you raise like VC money, the expectation, this is like a multi-billion dollar outcome. This is like the standard today. And what drives you about the work you do? Like, obviously, you've had a couple successful outcomes. You could be on the beach right now. Why start again? What drives you? I think it's an addiction. Like, I'll, I'll continue to work from my grave, probably. I like to create stuff. That's, that's what I am. I'm a creator in nature. Building a company is, uh, is a great experience, especially when it's, like, uh, super successful. It's incredible. And we have a lot of entrepreneurs on the show, so people who are working in large organizations but innovating and you know building their own businesses within Fortune 500 companies. What advice uh, would you give them and how do the patterns of starting your own business independently versus internally within an enterprise uh, play out? It's a good question. Two things that I would say. First, it's very, it, it is quite different, right? Doing your own company is, is it's a totally different game. But you know, if I look at even at our company, it isn't like a Fortune 500, but I look at things that succeed first, it has to be something that's kind of like overall aligned with, with a company goal, right? Whatever you're doing, it can't take the company sideways. I mean, you can do that, but it will not get like the support. It will not get people excited. So something that is aligned with a key goal of the company and key direction is more likely to get supported and take off. And second, if you could bootstrap it, right? If you could like show success early and take an initiative, don't don't ask for permission. You know, go go for forgiveness, right? Just try something. Say, hey, I already got something working. Build a business case because just coming up and 
asking for budget and all that is always like a tougher sale than showing some success, iterating quickly. One observation I have from you describing the entrepreneur story and your entrepreneur story is that in both cases, there's a lot of people who are going to reject your idea, who are going to think it's not going to work. Tell me about like the psyche of pushing through and how do your neurons fire when you get rejected? Are, are you impermeable to it or what happens? Yeah, of course. It's a great question. I think it's a, it's a very delicate balance because sometimes you, you do need to listen to people, right? You, you need to listen and ignore at the same time, right? So first, you know, all the people that thought that Gong wouldn't take off are not stupid people. They're super smart. Some of the smartest in the industry. So that, that I know. And we took some of the objections and we knew, okay, what can we address, right? Instead of just ignoring them, right? We just, okay, let, let's see what we can do. For example, a lot of people thought that the reps are going to object. Uh, they're going to see it as a big brother, which is like, it's not a stupid thought, right? So we actually took that feedback and built a lot of functionality for the salespeople themselves, all right? And we said, can we make the product that they'll be willing to pay out their own credit cards if the companies don't buy the product. So our, our net promoter score is, is 80, 80, which is like higher than the iPhone in 2008, right? It's pretty crazy for an enterprise software product because we built all of that. So that's actually good feedback. And some of it you just decided you're going to ignore. I mean, it's a tough call. Like you, you, you do listen and some of the things that it's, you know, you use your judgment and you say what's true and what's not. You make a bet. Were there ever moments where you're just so beat down from working so hard and having so many challenges that you wanted to give up or that you thought, you know, maybe it wouldn't work? No, no. Well, there's never a moment when I wanted to give up. No, it never got like that bad. You know, this is my fourth company. So I've been through like really tough times. Think about dot com or really like dark days. I know that there are ups and downs, but yeah, definitely when, when you hear a no, that's very frustrating, right? That drives you nuts, right? You shouldn't give up. As long as you could, you have the runway, right? Unless you're you're convinced that okay, this is like a dead end. You know, I, I, I never got to the point where I thought it was dead end. You seem to me like a, a sage veteran that's been through the ringer and now you know come out with more wisdom. Take us back to your first company when you were in it for the first time. What was different about managing your your focus from now? So. You know, we IPO'd on NASDAQ and everybody was like super excited. And then the market crashed and the stock starts taking a beating and business starts to slow down. And I had to like personally lay off like 50 people. And this is different for people that don't perform. So like great people, they're your friends. And you know, the worst thing you're sending them home and they'll have a really hard time finding a job. Uh, but you communicate to the company and you say, okay, we've done this, but from now on, this, this is probably the last time. And then like three months later, you have to send like, again, oops, we're sorry. Like there's additional 50 people that will have to go home. It was like very tough times. And, you know, the learning from that, and I see how we communicated during February and March when we start um, getting hit by COVID is just like, transparency and clarity of communication with the team and, and trust in difficult times is super important. Let's shift a little bit to really decoding revenue intelligence. So obviously every company's lifeblood is revenue and the way to do that you know, often is sales. What's your lessons learned as a leader on how to 
cultivate a sales culture and make those salespeople productive? Uh, that's a very big topic. I'll say like, you know, how we try to help. I think it's a very uh, lonely and frustrating job. Very exhilarating at times when it works and very nerve-wracking. And culture plays a, a, a huge role in that. So one thing that I've learned and I'm, I'm not like hitting the numbers, like is super important and we take it like super seriously, but not at all costs. Like we hit, if our goal for this year is like 10 million, we hit nine that, that's okay. It's not, you know, we're not the public company yet. So I think that can distress the organization. We're gone help, and you see that's a transformation. We see it like internally is it kind of like connects people, right? Traditionally, you're selling to a customer and you'll have a conversation and potentially the customer doesn't like your product. Now, it could be that your product isn't competitive, that it's overpriced. Maybe you didn't explain it well, maybe you didn't uncover value. And then you go back to your manager, try to explain that people kind of are suspicious. They don't know like what's going on, right? Is it you? Is it the customer? You try to speak with the product team. There's a lot of finger pointing to the leads quality and sales is where the, uh, are kind of like between the rock and a hard place. So I think with revenue intelligence, they're not alone in the trenches. Because not all of a sudden, like everybody can see like what's going on. You as the CEO, you can hear exactly what the customer is saying and understand if there's a product issue they need to fix. The engineering, they're aligned. The sales team itself has a lot more collaboration, right? Because if uh, one rep had a particular great response to an objection, like within like 30 seconds, the entire team can copy that practice. Right. It removes a lot of her frustration. It's still hard work, don't get me wrong. Right. But a lot of the frustration, suspense, and finger pointing from the sales profession. That's, that's, I think, like super important to building a great sales culture. Let's talk about the technology. Uh, obviously, Gong is AI powered, but can you explain that for everyone and what's your secret sauce? AI is, is, is a broad term. It's used in a lot of things. So first, like uh, at the very core is understanding what's being said, right? If you look at like the customer is sending an email, hey, I'm going to have to speak about the budget with my CFO or I do not believe this is a good fit for us at this point in time, right? You need to understand natural language. If there is a, a Zoom call or a phone call, right, you need to transcribe kind of single what's being said. And, and those, I mean, they seem like easy problems. Uh, they're not at all. Like written conversations, spoken conversation are totally different languages. It's like English and French almost. So you need to write like different languages. If even think of like texting or, or slacking, right? It's like Slack, it's like very short messages, emojis, right? Email, proper English. And spoken conversation, people don't use correct grammar. They they open parentheses in the middle of sentence. Like questions may not sound like questions. So just understanding that is is a pretty uh, pretty big task. And that's like one level of AI, right? Just understand what's being said. Second, try to create insights from that. So the questions, once you look at a lot of conversations, try to understand uh, conversation patterns actually are better. Right, in a, in a sense that they lead to closing more deals, right? So for that, the AI now looks at a large number of conversations and outcomes, and it's telling you, okay, if you say this and not that, 
you can increase your win rate by 8%. One of our customers is selling a point of sale solution to small businesses and their solution has an iPad component and an application component. Um, and Gong recommended that when they call a customer, they present the iPad before the software. And that increased sales by 15%, one five. Just that small change. Now, the cool thing, Gong doesn't even understand what an iPad is or doesn't understand anything about their business, but he did recognize that a pattern from the top 5% salespeople, this is something that they consistently do and it leads to better outcomes. So you always have super unique insights based on huge data sets of what makes an incredible sales rep. What are your top three pieces of advice? There's no universal thing. It depends like who your buyer persona. If you're selling to an HR manager, it might be different if you're selling to like very senior leaders at large organizations. So it does, doesn't matter. But I think uh, being a good listener is like universal. What we find that the optimal pattern is like very interactive. I mean, you could say dumb, but it's amazing how many people just don't do that, right? Uh, people do talk too much. They speak in very long sentences. They interact. They don't ask a lot of questions. And that's like the vast majority of salespeople, especially like the younger ones. So that that's a skill that can be learned. So being a good listener. Let's double click on listening because I think that's an incredible skill set. And you mentioned it can be learned. What do you see in the data? Do you have any unique insights to say most salespeople talk 90% of the time, but the top salespeople talk 80% of the time? Can you share some of those unique insights? That's easy. A lot of them are on our blog, by the way. They're, I think they're like every couple of weeks, there are some new, new data sets, uh, research. I think the most recent one, if you use like uh, Zoom and you turn a camera on or off, right? What's the impact on win rate? The answer is yes. Like opening the camera does help. So make it happen. In listening skills, I think there is an optimal number, it turns out, between like listening to talking, and that's 46%, right? 46% uh, in early conversations. 46% is kind of like an average that's good. I mean, and it's not that if you speak like for 55, you're not going to sell. But I mean, that's the, that's the ideal. Number of questions is another like interesting parameter is like, it's good to ask questions too little isn't good and too like asking like 30 also isn't good there's kind of like a sweet spot and it please don't take this literally but it's around like 13 13 in a, an average like 45 minute convo 13 is around a sweet spot so the idea is you should be asking you should be listening more than talking when I started my career, I was my mentor taught me that you have like two ears and one mouth. That's about the right ratio. It turns out that actually science shows that it's not far from reality. That's incredible. So obviously you um you you have had really good news to share recently. No, so we recently announced a funding announcement, uh two hundred million dollars, two point two post valuation. Before that, in December we announced our series C. We're pretty excited about now that we have like uh, bigger reserves to go and do some uh, strategic moves and, and double down on, on product development. It's amazing. So what are you going to do with all the capital? This is like a very volatile world these days. So as a responsible CEO, you want to make sure that you always have enough, that you don't have to fly 
you know, just above the tree levels, right? If you have more altitudes and more runway, you can execute your, your, your vision. You know, we're definitely not going to spend it on nonsense, right? We're going to invest in like developers, acquiring more customers on commissions and building a great company. That's great. Last question. Uh, why the name Gong? Gong is, is, is the name, is the sound of winning, right? I mean, when you close a deal, that's what happens in the bullpen, right? That's what people do. They hit the gong. Well, um, Amit, thank you so much. This was so insightful, really incredible, great lessons on turbocharging your sales, your revenue, lessons learned from a veteran, uh, unicorn entrepreneur. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks for having me. On the next episode of Decoding Digital. All these consumer online platforms were optimized for one thing and one thing alone. They weren't actually even optimized for human connection. They're optimized for clicks because the entire consumer internet is funded by advertising. And so what we're seeing with the polarizing kind of disinformation and fake news spreading, that wasn't an intention. That wasn't someone's goal. It's just that's the unintended consequence of when you prize clicks above all else and you don't have checks and balances. Founder of Hearsay Systems and board member at Starbucks, Clara Shee. Thanks for listening to Decoding Digital. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. To learn more, visit decodingdigital.com. Until next time.